Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled, Dear God. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Perhaps the most sobering quote on prayer that I have ever heard came from the 19th century Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane, who once said, quote, if you ever wish to humble a man, ask him about his prayer life. I think this is because prayer is one of those things that we can never do enough of and never be good enough at. When's the last time you ever heard somebody say, you know, I think I'm praying too much. I'm seeing too many answers to prayer. God's just blessing me too much. I need to back off a little bit this month. You know, of course not. Because we all struggle with prayer, and we all feel guilty for not praying enough. And we're disappointed when our prayers aren't answered, and The noisy world that we live in makes prayer seem impossible, and the adversary certainly pulls no punches to make sure that we don't pray. Thankfully, the Lord wants to help us in this area, to help us all get better at it. So much so that the Bible is filled with examples of how to pray, examples of people who struggled in prayer, and who got answers to prayer. This is why today we're kicking off a new teaching series in the book of Psalms called Dear God. And so with that, I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles with me, if you haven't already, to the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalms chapter 3, we're going to be looking at chapters 3 through 7, just surveying some verses I want to encourage you to also take out the sermon notes that uh, you have. And if you forgot your Bible, just raise your hand and uh, one of our ushers will bring one to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. Psalms is located between Job and Proverbs. So if you can find one of those books, you're close. Let me give you a little bit of background on the book of Psalms as well. Uh, The book of Psalms gets its name from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. The original Hebrew title signified praise music accompanied by string instruments. It's a Hebrew word, which I can't even pronounce, and you don't need to hear me try, but uh, it means to to sing praises with string instruments. Now, when translators, um, just after the death of Christ in, say, the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, when they were trying to translate the Old Testament Hebrew Bible into Greek to make it more accessible and readable for the rest of the world at that time, they rendered uh, the word in the Hebrew of praises with string instruments, they rendered it psalmos. And so literally, the, the, the title of the book of Psalms could be read, Book of Praises. Book of Praises. The authors of the Psalms are varied, You may know some of them, and there will be others that you don't know. Uh, David, 
wrote most of the Psalms. In fact, he wrote 73 out of the 150 Psalms in this book. Moses wrote Psalm 90. Uh, Asaph and uh, Levite musicians, there's a group of Levite musicians, wrote Psalm 50, 73 to 83, 88 and 89. They were worship leaders in the tabernacle. And then Solomon is credited with Psalm 72 in Psalm 127. And so, so the authorship is diverse as compared to other books of the Bible that we've studied together. Uh, but another thing that's unique about the book of Psalms is its length. And because of its length, it's been organized when it was put together in the canon of Scripture. It was, it's, it's been broken down into uh, a set of five books. And so um, there's a structure that's been put in place to kind of make it easier to find various psalms. And so you'll notice in your Bible, uh, Psalm 1 through 41 is called Book 1, and it'll have a title, as you should have one at least. Um, and then Book 2 is Psalms 42 to 72, Book 3, 73 to 89, Book 4, 90 to 106, and then Book 5, 107 to 150. So uh, think of it, think of the Psalms as a five-volume set of worship hits, uh, if that helps you. Uh, for this series, though, we'll be staying in book one. I initially was going to try and do more than that, and I found myself struggling to decide which ones to cover because there's so many good ones in here. And I decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just tackle book one this fall, and then Lord willing, if he wills, maybe in a year or two, come back and do book two and then gradually work through the book of Psalms. Now, although the Psalms are poetry, they vary in style and form. Uh, most scholars break the Psalms down into the following six categories. And you've got a table on your outline. I want to encourage you to fill this in because it, it'll help you understand the different types of Psalms. Um, the first type, and I'm going to go down the left-hand side here, are called hymns. Uh, many scholars and commentators uh, have categorized the Psalms into hymns as the first category. Uh, there are a batch of hymns in here that provide a call to praise, um, a, to sing or rejoice about Yahweh and something in his character or something that he's done. The next line down, left-hand side, second line, the second category is lament. There are several lament psalms, meaning um, they are prayers put to music that um, were written by, for example, David. We're going to look at a couple here this morning of lament psalms written by David where basically the author is complaining about his circumstances. He could be suffering. He could be feeling conviction for sin. Another way to pair, I would paraphrase it in contemporary language is, Lord, my life stinks. Where are you? That's a lament psalm. And we're going to look at some of those today. And I'm going to go more in depth in the coming weeks with a couple. So we've got hymns. We have laments. The psalms are also made up of royalty songs. Uh, that's the third line down on the left-hand side. Royalty. They are, there are psalms that talk about either the king of Israel and how he should be respected as an authority figure, or the coming Messiah. There are Messianic Psalms as well, and talk about the Messiah as the coming king. Next, uh, top right-hand side, 
we have thanksgiving psalms. They declare a desire to thank God for something that he's done or something in his character or to thank him for deliverance or all the above. Next, there are wisdom psalms. They provide instruction and sort of read like a proverb where they, they have counsel or warning or questions and answers or describe something in God's character. And then finally, there's a batch of kind of... Uh, it's like the island of misfit toys. <laughs> Scholars, I, I kind of chuckled when I found this. I was reading this, mixed. <laughs> this is the last category. So category six is mixed, meaning they, they, they didn't have enough to form a new category, so they kind of just threw the rest of them in, this, this batch, this bucket. Now, why am, I, why am I telling you this? I mean, this is feeling like a seminary class. Well, um, understanding the type of psalm will help us understand the author's original intent. And if we can understand the author's original intent, we'll be able to interpret the psalm correctly. That's why it matters. So when we work our way through this first book of Psalms 1 through 41, we'll, we'll be asking ourselves, what is the author saying? Is he, is he doing um, a hymn, or is he doing a lament, or is it royalty, or is it thanksgiving, or is it wisdom he's giving, or is it... Mixed. Now I know what you might be thinking. If, if the Psalter is a compilation of worship songs, then why are you calling this a series on prayer, Pastor Kerry? Why well, thought of you, and I thought you'd never ask. So, so here's why. Because the Psalms are really poetry, and they are both songs to be sung and prayers. They're both. They are rich in theology, and some are deeply personal, as we're going to look at today. So here's our big idea for today, and it kind of answers the question in the title of this message, Why Pray the Psalms? Well, the big idea is this, learning the Psalms unlocks a deeper, more powerful prayer life. Learning the Psalms unlocks a deeper more powerful prayer life. Instead of thinking of the Psalms as this massive 150 chapter book of poetry that's just hard to understand and requires synapses to fire that haven't fired since I was in college literature class, I want you to instead think of the Psalms as somebody's personal prayer journal. the prayer journal for some of the godliest people that have ever walked on the earth. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be using, um, going through this prayer journal to learn how to talk to the Lord ourselves and how he intimately works. We're going to learn how he intimately works in the lives of his people. If you've ever been super excited about what God is doing in your life, then there's a prayer for you in the Psalms. There are sections of the Psalms where the author is really fired up about the Lord. And if you've ever been betrayed or falsely accused or pursued by enemies, well, there's some prayers in this book for you as well. Or if you've ever felt like God has forgotten you or is making you wait too long, well, there's some prayers in the book of Psalms 
for you as well. Throughout most of this series, I'll be focusing on one psalm a week. However, today, I wanted to start off by kind of giving you a quick taste of Psalms 3 through 7. So with that, here's my first point, the first point on your outline. Why should we pray the psalms? Well, point number one, major point number one is this, because you will need answers when you call upon the Lord. You will need answers when you call upon the Lord. King David wrote Psalm 3 while fleeing from Jerusalem because his son Absalom had led a revolt to take over the throne. As you can imagine, he was so devastated by such a betrayal that he feared for his life and it drove him to his knees in prayer. And so while on the run, he penned Psalm 3. If you would look with me at Psalm 3, verses 1 through 4. David says, O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me, and many are saying of my soul that there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Notice in verse 4 how David testifies that when danger came, the Lord answered his call. Although David was on the run from, uh, from Absalom and his troops, God still protected him. Eventually, Absalom's coup failed. And this is detailed in 2 Samuel, but Absalom uh, died an early death and David was restored to the throne. But look at, uh, he continues to write about this in Psalm 4. If you would look at Psalm 4, verses 1 through 3. Answer me when I call. There's a sense that he's been waiting on the line for a while and he hasn't heard from God. And so he's like, hello? Is anybody here? Hello? <laughs> oh, God of my righteousness, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Oh, men, how, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, and the Lord hears when I call on him. Have you ever tried to call someone or call a company, but not be able to get through? Maybe left a message, and they don't call you back? Maybe it's a friend, and you start going, man, are they upset at me? Everything okay? Maybe it's your teenager. <laughs> you know, what's up with that? Left a message, I don't get a response. Yet their friends get instantaneous responses on social media. What's up with that, man? Or maybe, maybe it's you got a problem and something's broken your house and you call the company and, and you're on hold for a long time and you have to leave a message because their call queue is full right now. And you need help, but you can't get help. And you're frustrated because, say in my case, it's been my laser printer this year. It's just, man, that thing. I can't get anybody competent to help me get that thing fixed. And I've been online with tech support for hours this year. 
please leave a message and someone will call you back. Right, right. Isn't it frustrating when you're waiting? Well, what David is showing us here, I mean, because it makes you feel like you're, you're not important. It makes it feel like they don't care for you, but not so with the Lord. David says, he answered me. He answered me. One of the many benefits of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is gaining access to the Lord's throne room in prayer. Your prayers no longer bounce off heaven. If you've dealt with your sin with the Lord, then you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 3, David's saying that, in, in chapter 4, verse 3, David is saying that the Lord makes time when one of his children is calling. We may not always get the answer we want, but we do get an answer. The answer might be no. What I have found sometimes in my own life is sometimes when the Lord is saying no, I interpret that as, how come you haven't answered me yet? (laughs) Because I maybe think the only answer is yes. (laughs) Maybe he's given you an answer. And he's saying no. And you think you haven't got an answer, but you just don't like the no. Or maybe he's saying not yet. He says that too sometimes. Not yet. Lord, give me an answer. Not yet. When am I going to get my answer? The yes that I want, Lord. Not yet. So here's another reason that we need to pray the Psalms. And number two on your outline is this. Because you will need words to pray when you have none. You will need words to pray when you have none. If you haven't experienced this already, you will eventually. Because nearly every Christ follower does. I'm referring to a season of intense trials in which you are either shocked that you can't, you're so shocked you can't find the words to pray, or you prayed for so long that you've run out of words. That's where David was in Psalm 5 and Psalm 6. Psalm 5 and 6 give us Again, some more snapshots or Polaroids of his walk with the Lord as we're peeking into David's prayer journal here. Look at verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. David says, Give ears to my words, O Lord, and consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice, and in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for And watch for you. Consider my groaning. Sense the emotion in the text. David's saying there were times when he didn't have words to express how he felt. Words couldn't, he couldn't find the words. Notice in verse 3, he says, In the morning, though, I prepared a sacrifice for you. In the morning, I lifted up my voice to you. Notice how time with the Lord was a priority for David in that the first thing he wanted to do in the morning was spend time with his Lord. He didn't put it off until later in the day. It's as if he was saying, Lord, if I make you a priority in my day, I know you'll make me a priority in yours. This was the case for all the influential saints throughout the centuries. 
They got up early and spent time with the Lord in prayer and in his word because they couldn't imagine going through the day without spending time with him. Look at uh, chapter 6, verses 2 to 6 then. David continuing to cry out to the Lord in the midst of trial. We don't know if this is the same enemies. It could be another set of enemies, but David's life certainly is proof that you can love the Lord and be hated by people. And so David, in verse, chapter 6, verse 2, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver my life and save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you, and shall, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. You ever stayed up all night crying? David has. You ever been so distraught over something you were going through or worried about somebody that you couldn't sleep and you cried all night? David has, and so have many saints. Again, notice David's honesty. It's raw. He's real with God. He's broken. He's dependent. He's been laid out by the Lord. There's a couple hidden nuggets of encouragement here in Psalm 6 for us, I think. First of all, David has been through the same, if not worse, trials than all of us. Thus, we can relate to David, and he can relate to us. That means that if you've had your world rocked by sudden traumatic trial, Seeing David's prayer life laid out in front of us in the passage here can give us hope. It's laid out in front of us and it shows us that sudden trials and being laid out and broken and desperate and so upset that you can't sleep and your tears are drenching your pillow is normal. It's normal. This is important because I think this is an important little hidden nugget of encouragement because I think one of the lies the adversary tries to tell us when we're going through an intense trial is that we're the only one that's ever in world history gone through that trial. The adversary wants us to think that we're all alone. I think this is why in 1 Peter 5, the very famous passage where Peter is describing the adversary as a roaring lion who is seeking to devour believers, uh, one of the things, if you go a few more verses, I think it's in verses 9 and 10 in 1 Peter 5, Peter says uh, he, he encourages the believers who are suffering under Satan's influence, he, he encourages them by saying, there are believers all over the world going through what you're going through. You're not alone. And I think Peter knew what David knows and what I've learned, and that is, is that Satan wants us to think that we're the only ones and we have a unique situation that God has never, ever seen before. And therefore, God can't handle this one. And yet, the truth is, all of God's people have suffered in some way, in some time, 
In fact, they've all suffered in multiple ways and multiple seasons through life. Sometimes because of their own sin, sometimes because of the sin of others. Sometimes just because the Lord wanted to, to grow his people. Sometimes it's spiritual warfare. There are a myriad of reasons. But here's another nugget of encouragement that I think we can glean from Psalm 6 and, and 5 as well, and that is we get to see what David learns about the Lord and how the Lord gets him through the adversity. So, so, so again, first nugget of encouragement David's going through junk just like I have. In fact, he even has it worse. People want to kill him. I can be encouraged. At least nobody wants to kill me. <laughs> and the other nugget of encouragement, I can see how David worked through this with the Lord and how the Lord dealt with him and got him through it as I'm watching his prayer journal right here. I can see David's emotions and how he struggled and wrestled with God and where are you, Lord, and what are you doing? And I'm languishing and I can't sleep. And, and then we see verses here and there where he says God came through, in essence. This kind of moaning and groaning that we see here in Psalm 6 happens when there's a sudden loss or maybe a prolonged season of suffering or an illness Perhaps it's the death of a child or a bitter betrayal. It's in moments like these the Psalms can give us words to use when we have no words of our own. It's in moments like these that we know we need to pray, but we don't know how to pray. Well, the Psalms can help. The Psalms can help. You see, learning the Psalms unlocks a deeper more powerful prayer life. Here's another reason, a third reason. We need to learn how to pray the Psalms, and that is because you will need direction when you have none. You will need direction when you have none. In Psalm 5, verse 8, David says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Lead me in your righteousness. Now let me give you a little context here. In this particular situation, David needed the Lord's guidance on how to avoid sinning while dealing with his enemies. He knew that when we're sinned against, our first instinct is to, oh yeah, well, I'm going to sin right back. Oh yeah, you're going to regret you ever did that. I run into this at my house. I know that this doesn't happen at your house, but it's only at my house that my kids practice revenge. Well, why did you hit your sister? Well, because she laughed at me. Oh, okay. Why'd, she, why'd you laugh at him? Well, because his hair looks stupid today. Oh, okay. Well, why does your hair look stupid today? I made my hair look stupid because she wore that funny outfit. You know, it just... Back and forth, back and forth. And, and, and I remember one day having my kids uh, go up to their rooms and open up Romans 12 and read about vengeance is mine, says the Lord. <laughs> that means if you get hit, you don't need to hit your sibling back three times as hard. 
But that's, that's our instinct. We do that. Businessmen do that. Christian businessmen sadly do that. Oh, yeah, well, he's going to do that to me. Well, guess what? I'm going to do this. And I'm going to bend the rules. I'm going to stretch the ethics a little bit to get even. Practice a little um, worldly gamesmanship just so they know not to mess with my company. So David, he's, he knows his own flesh. There's an awareness of his fallenness. So in verse 8, Leave me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight. He knows I'm going to be tempted to get even. My flesh is going to want to say, Did you know I was a soldier? <laughs> and that uh, I've killed thousands. Are you ready to die? <laughs> David was a, a man's man. He knew how to handle himself. Must have been even harder for him when he know how to kill somebody and you can do it easily, but to restrain himself. So he's asking the Lord to help him. He in essence says, Lord, the soldier in me wants to teach these guys a few lessons to never mess with me again, but help me to honor you, Lord. We've all had times when we needed the Lord's direction in a hard situation. Should we take this job or that job? Should we move here or move there? Should we buy that house or the other one? Should we marry this person or wait for someone else to come along? Seeking the Lord's direction is common. and It's a common prayer in the Psalms. and It'll come up several times in the next few weeks because men like David had figured out God knows some things that I don't. He knows some things that I don't. He, he knows. He sees things. He sees the future, and I don't. He sees what's down ahead, and I don't. I can only see the present, and because of my fallen, depraved body and mind and the effects of the fall, I can't even remember my past very accurately. But the Lord does. So we need the Lord to guide us. And the Psalms provide some great prayers for guidance. Here's the final reason we need to learn how to pray the Psalms, and it's number four, because you will need words of praise when you have none. You will need words of praise when you have none. One scholar did an intensive study of the lament, numerous lament Psalms, and found that Every one of them progressed from complaining to doxology. It's fascinating. You might remember doxology literally means word of glory. I think I explained it in the Titus series that I did. I wrapped up a few weeks ago. Paul often would drop a doxology into his writings uh, where he would just turn suddenly, he'd stop teaching, and he would just praise the Lord for something. Well, the psalmist did the same. Take a look, if you would, just at chapter 3, verse 8. I'm going to look at the last verse of Psalms 3, 4, 5, and 7. So look at, you know, he starts out in Psalm 3, help me, Lord, Absalom and his enemies are coming after me, but Psalm 3, verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Psalm 4, verse 8. He continues to cry out to the Lord, help me, help me, he's on the run. Psalm 4, verse 8. 
In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Chapter 5, verse 12. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, and you cover him with favor as with a shield. Chapter 7, verse 17. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Doxologies. I have used the Psalms as an aid in praising the Lord when I was suffering miserably. And I've used them as an aid to praise the Lord when life was pretty good for me. And I, I just was tired of saying the same things in my prayers and needed something fresh to say and, and found fresh ways to praise the Lord by looking at the Psalms. In both the good seasons and the bad seasons, we sometimes don't know how to praise the Lord or we need a new way to praise Him. The Psalter can help us in this area of life. This means that regardless of what season of life we find ourselves in, we can still and should still praise the Lord. This is hard. It's hard for me, and I know it's hard for you, because our instinct, our flesh, doesn't want to praise the Lord when things aren't going the way we think they should be going. Or we don't want to praise the Lord when we're uncomfortable, or we're suffering, we're in pain, or we're hurting. But the authors in the Psalms knew what Job did. You remember Job's famous line? In Job 121, after he lost his house, his family, and his health, you give and you take away. And what did he say after that? Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's hard to say that. But I'm learning that when you can get to the point where you can say that, you've graduated to a level of spiritual maturity that very few people get to. So, what would a sermon at Vanguard Bible Church be without any applications? Well, not a good sermon, right? So, uh, here's two closing applications. They're very simple and straightforward, and I want to use these to set up the rest of the series. The first one, application A on your outline, don't fear the unknown Don't let fear of the unknown keep you from learning what's knowable. Don't let fear of the unknown keep you from learning what's knowable. Here's what I mean by that. I used to be afraid of the Psalms because it was a style of literature I was unfamiliar with. I never did good in literature class in school either. I always was more a fan of the straightforward narrative um, type of writing. I didn't like ambiguity or anything like that. I didn't get into symbolism and Shakespeare, and I just always found, just give it to me straight, man. Make it easy for me to understand. But I have learned that the Psalms are a goldmine of riches and insight and, and encouragement And I've learned that there's always room to keep learning. When I went through the first of many valleys in my walk with the Lord, I was driven to the Psalms because I found myself not knowing how to pray. And I have since then continued to go back to them when I don't know how to pray and I don't know what to tell the Lord. And 
The Psalter has given me words that, okay, yes, I can relate to that. That's how I'm feeling. Yep, verse 6 there. I'm, that's me today. The Psalter helped me learn from others who love the Lord and helped me learn to pray when I didn't have the words. Here's letter B, or application B. Do learn how to pray. I know what you're thinking. Well, duh, yeah. Um, I've been increasingly surprised at how many Christians I've run into that don't know how to pray. Or are so uncomfortable praying, they won't pray in a group. They're very self-conscious. And I, I think, most likely, in fact, D.L. Moody said something similar to this effect, that if you're, if you're uncomfortable praying with others, it's probably because you're not doing it much on your own in private. Because what generally happens is those that have spent time in prayer with the Lord privately in their relationship with Him are usually okay praying with other believers because it's just sort of, well, yeah, I've been doing this all week. I'm just going to pretend like y'all ain't here and talk to the Lord when it's my turn. So, um, however, I want to, I want to clarify something in that there's no shame in admitting we need to learn how to pray or how to get better at it. Because we'll never arrive. We're like, okay, I'm a level five prayer person. I've kind of, you know, I've maxed out what I can do prayer-wise. I'm good. I, I hope someday you can graduate to a black belt in prayer like me. You know, there's just no... <laughs> Uh, it's a lifetime of continuing to grow and get better. In fact, here's some encouragement. In Luke 11, verse 1, the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And what's interesting about that request from the disciples is that they never asked him, teach us how to preach or teach us how to do miracles. The only thing that's recorded in all the four Gospels that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to do is how to pray. One of the best ways to learn how to pray is to just start doing it. And all you need for an effective prayer life is a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and his word. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need to be from a certain state. You don't need to be a certain political party. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ so your prayers get heard. And you need his word. If you know those things you'll learn how to pray. Well, for many years, the ringing of a church bell in small communities signaled uh, the beginning of a worship service. I was just remembering this this morning. I grew up in a neighborhood in central Illinois. We were a medium-sized city, but we still had a Lutheran church up the street from my house in the neighborhood. And every Sunday, I remember hearing the bell ring when it was time for service to start. Two services they had, by the way. So, 9 and 11. Well, in some cases, the church bell was used for many years in the community to not only let the community members know that worship was starting, sometimes it signaled the top of the hour. Sometimes the church bell was used to signal a storm was coming, or perhaps an attacking enemy. Charles Spurgeon once compared prayer to the ringing of a church bell. 
that gets the attention of God. He writes, prayer pulls down the rope down below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly. Others give only an occasional jerk at the rope. But he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all of his might. Vanguard Bible Church, let's learn how to pull on the rope this year. And let's learn how to ring the bells of heaven and get God's attention. All in favor, please say amen. amen. <laughs> Learning the Psalms unlocks a deeper, more powerful prayer life. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you caused these psalms, these intimate prayers, to be recorded in the canon of Scripture. It amazes me, Lord, because some of these psalms don't make you look real good. They show David and others struggling with you and your behavior, Lord, and yet you, you were secure enough in who you are to allow some questions, some hard questions, and some, some very penetrating accusations to be recorded in the Psalms. Thank you, Lord, that we have that encouragement there for us, that we can look to the Psalms and we can see that David and others struggled to understand you. They struggled to trust you. But by faith, they did so, even when they didn't feel like it. Lord, I want to just pray for those here today that maybe have always been uncomfortable with prayer. They never feel like they're good at it. Maybe they don't feel like they have time for it. Maybe they've asked for some things that you chose not to answer or answer differently, and so they stop praying because they feel it doesn't work. Lord, I just want to pray that if, if the cause of them not wanting to pray or, or, or uh, not seeing answers is not knowing Christ, that, Lord, you would reveal Christ to them. Lord, if, if the reason they don't want to pray is because they've misunderstood prayer and they have some, some presumptions that were not accurate about prayer, Lord, would you, would you lovingly teach them? how prayer works and how you work. Father, we know that Jesus said uh, regarding his church, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And I know in my experience as a minister, prayer is one of those things that just feels like uh, a church mouse always scurrying off into areas of the church. It's hard to get a hold of. It's just, it's, it's, it's like we can never do enough and it's hard to organize. It's hard to be intentional about. Father, would you help us as a church to grow in that area?
Would you help us, Lord, to become a church of individual prayer warriors so that corporately as a church, we are a prayer army. So, Lord, we want to say what the disciples did in Luke 11. Would you teach us how to pray this fall? We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.